Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Sunday night, the uh, 22nd. Holy cow, who can believe it? And um, Abraham now is 99. The last time he talked to the Lord, he was 84. He's still waiting. Mm-hmm, still waiting, yeah. And um, so um, at that point, you know, God just reaffirmed everything. And uh, then Sarah got this bright idea that God mm. needed a little help. And um, yes, exactly. So here comes Hagar on the scene. And um, so Sarah, of course, gives Hagar to Abraham. And Hagar has a son, Ishmael. Both Hagar and Ishmael now are descendants of Ham. All have that same personality, that same um, rebellious personality, in-your-face kind of a attitude, just like reading the newspaper. The, those Arab nations are still the same way. And um, so in chapter 16... Um, Hagar tries to run away because Sarah is trying to subdue her and make her behave because um, she's been throwing it in Sarah's face that she's pregnant and Sarah's not. So Sarah's been... Jealous. <laughs> yes, very. And um, so Sarah's brought her under control where she tries to run away and go back to Egypt. And on the way, God meets her at a well and tells her, you know, go, go home. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Ishmael. God tells her that. And then, and then God describes him. Ishmael is going to be a wild man. And um, he's going to be against everybody, and everybody's going to be against him. And where the scripture says he's going to live in the presence of his brothers, that literally means in your face, angry and um, impudent. So he's going to live angry and impudent, right in the face of everybody else. Exactly right. And it's still happening. I mean, they're still doing that to each other. Um, there's, I don't know of a time that historically there's ever been peace. They've been trying to conquer each other and build empires on top of each other since the time uh, of the beginning. And nothing has changed. They still live that way. And while they're untamed, they don't. You know, build big cities. They, uh, I mean, not they do have big cities, but they still, you know, live by their own hand. And um, more than that, they live by violence, by robbery, by whatever else they can think of. That's the way they live. And um, of course, all of these nomadic tribes, you know, are descendants of Ishmael. And um, of course, there's a good healthy mix of everybody else in there too, Japheth and Shem. But mostly, it's that nature and that personality of Ishmael. Even though Abraham was Ishmael's dad, the gene pool is so strong in Ham's descendants that that personality just bleeds through. Um, so at this point, God has um, 
been through the blood, the blood covenant. He cut those animals in half, Abraham did, and laid them aside. And God passed through the blood. And um, so that kind of bolstered Abraham's faith. Well, then Sarah jumps in there. And honestly, I mean, you know, if, if you just think about this from a human standpoint, he's got a son. And it's his descendant. And um, for 13 years now, he's had a son. And he loves Ishmael. So what Abraham gets in his mind is, is that Ishmael is his heir. And he's perfectly comfortable with that. And God's going to go, no, Abraham, we have to go another round here. Because your faith has to be strong enough to get you beyond your 100 years and Sarah's 90. We have to do something else here. And um, so when this picture starts, um, God is appearing again to Abraham. Now, this is 13 years later. Um, after the animals have been cut, okay, well, we'd be 14 years later now because Ishmael's 13. And um, so um, he did the animals down the back before Ishmael was born, before Sarah gave him Hagar. So another year has passed. So it would be 14 years now since, um, since God has dealt with him through that part of the blood sacrifice. And now Abraham's 99 years old and God appears to him again and, and starts again to build up his faith. Now this is the deal. The covenant's already cut. The promise is already made. God's not going to go back on any of it. And so this circumcision, this thing that's coming up, is not in order for the covenant to happen. Okay, that you, this is where we start to get into a fine line, and this is where the law starts to creep in, even though the law hasn't been given yet. Um, you have to make this argument. So just, just kind of keep that in your mind now when we go into this, that the covenant's already there. They've already been in the blood. They've already spoken the promises. God's not changing anything. He is just going to now redirect Abraham's plan. Abraham has his own plan through Ishmael. God's going, no, I'm going to have to set your feet on another path. Therefore, I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to do some, some, something with your faith. Now, I'm going to have to change your faith because you're putting your faith in Ishmael and your faith in your flesh. And um, so he's intervening now to change Abraham's plan. Which, you know, what is it? The best laid plans of mice and men. <laughs> and um, that's exactly what this is. And this one does go astray eventually. Okay. So, let's just start reading a little bit here. Um, chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abraham was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. This is not, uh, walk before me, literally in the Hebrew, um, halak means to be conversant with me, continually be in my presence, continually remember that I'm with you. So obviously Abraham has not, Abraham's gotten comfortable. You know, I think I've got my son and now I'm just walking and being faithful. But obviously um, for God to have to remind him of that is to say Abraham's gotten a little bit comfortable here. And um, 
Then he says, and be perfect before me, tamim, which literally means just be sincere and truthful and upright before me. That's it. Okay. Is that partly because he forgot the promise that he made to Sarah? Well, I don't, I don't know if it's that or if he just really thought that, because it was proper for Sarah to give him Hagar, um, that that's the way God intended for it to be and that Ishmael was the one. Because Hagar told him, you have to name him Ishmael. God told me that, you know. And um, God, t I'm sure she had to explain to Abraham why. Sure, he's not anxiously waiting anymore. Yeah, he's so just he's, not. You know, he's yeah. content. Yeah, he's not but expecting. He doesn't be, God doesn't want him to be content. Right. He <laughs> wants him still expecting ahead, you know, expecting what God really has planned. So he's trying to get Abraham out of his comfort zone is basically, mm. I, to me, that's what this is. And um, so he, he reminds him, he said, I want you to be constantly conversant with me. I want you to be reminded, you know, that I'm here all the time. And I want you to be, you know, upright before me. And I want you to understand that. And then he says, I will make my covenant between me and you. Now, that word make doesn't mean I'm going to cut covenant with you. He's actually saying there, I will actively accomplish now. What I promised you 24 years ago. That word, yeah, that my, word. My Bible says, I will confirm my covenant. Okay. And I think it's a better word. It is a better word. Um, but because Hayah is one of those um, active verbs, it's like he's saying, I am actively now going to fulfill or complete or begin to bring to pass what I promised you. Okay. So... In other words, don't be trusting in Isaac. I'm, I'm the one that's going to do this, Abraham. I'm the one that's going to make this covenant happen between you and me. And I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of many nations. This is the first time that God tells him he's the father of many nations. Up to this point, he says, I will make of you a great nation. This is the first time he says to Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. Mm -hmm. And that really happens if you, I mean, if you think about it, it happens in the flesh one way, and it also happens in the spirit. Um, both ways, he will be the father of many nations. Neither shall your name anymore be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For the father of many nations have I made you. In other words, I've already done it. It's past tense. He's speaking that thing that be not as though it was. Um, for Romans 4. Um that's another part of covenant. You know, once you've given the promises, um, yeah, you exchange names. That's where we get all these hyphenated names like Smith-Jones or, you know, whatever. These hyphenated names actually originally started as covenant names. And um, now, like in marriage, when you have a covenant name, it's mostly women trying to hold on to their own self-identity. But in these days, it was the idea of melding two identities into one. So it was like Smith hyphen Jones. Different families? Yes, right. different families that were becoming one. Two families becoming one unit. The, my strength to your weakness. Mm -hmm. 
So God gave Abraham a part of his name. And what did he give him? He gave him the hey, the grace. And grace is that power that, that of the Holy Spirit in order to bring life to Abraham's body and to accomplish the thing that God needs to have done. You know, grace is, is it's a gift. You know, you can't earn it. And um, that's why he says, I'm giving you the hay. But by putting the hay right in the middle of Abram, it changed the name of him from uh, just Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. It's literally what the word Abraham means. So every time he declared his name, he was speaking by faith, I am the father of many nations. I am Abraham, father of many nations. And um, so then he goes on to repeat the covenant. And in every case where it says, I will make, I will establish, I will do, he's literally saying, I'm going to bring it about now. I've spoken it, I've spoken it, I've spoken it. And you're on the verge, you're about to see it. But this is my time, not yours, Abraham. You and Sarah got a little ahead of me here. And uh, I'm saying, I'm doing this in my time. Okay, <clears throat> verse 6. <clears throat> and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Well, that would take a lot of grace at 100. At 99. <clears throat> and I will make nations of you, and kings will come out of you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. In other words, I will fulfill now my covenant between me and you, and your seed after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God to you and to your seed after you. And I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land wherein you're a stranger and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So all the land he was talking about is from um, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers all the way over to the Nile. That's the promised land. And God said to Abraham, You will keep my covenant, therefore, you and your seed after you and their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. Okay. The circumcision, by the time it got to where Jesus was born, circumcision was a part of the right to become uh, a covenant partner with God. If you wanted to be a covenant partner with God, you had to be circumcised. So you're trusting in what you did to be circumcised. But Paul, when he's speaking to the Romans about this, he said, no, no. When did God give Abraham the, the covenant? Was it because he was circumcised or was it before? It's before he's circumcised. Circumcision is a life lesson for Abraham and his clan, but it is also just a mark of covenant. It has nothing to do with Abraham's faith nor the covenant. It is simply a, a mark. We're going to read that in Romans in a little bit. But um, that circumcision, uh, the covenant didn't hang on circumcision. Okay, Circumcision was an act by faith that Abraham did because God asked him to do it. Not, not in order to fulfill the covenant, but because Abraham was in covenant and God asked him to do it. As a reminder. As a reminder. Exactly right. And the purpose in that was this. Flesh um, cannot do what the spirit can do. God is a spirit being and God has spirit plans. Okay? And so um, when 
when um, Sarai gave Abraham Hagar, he he conceived um, uh, Hagar. He caused Hagar to conceive a son through his flesh. But God says, now we're cutting the flesh away. This is totally through me. And this is a reminder that your flesh has nothing to do with it. Um, interesting, just a side note, um, once covenants were established with um, circumcisions, they would take the foreskins and throw them in the sand, which would be a symbol of exactly what God said. Your offspring will be like the sand, you know, the grains of sand on the sea. And that's the way they used to do it. Um, Bridget said, no, now it goes into a medical dispenser. Yeah. I'm going, yeah, right, but it's a little different now. Can you now. imagine having that done at the age of 99? No, I can't imagine it. Oh, oh. It's hard to think of it at just a at day all. old, you know, yeah. But, um, yeah, so that circumcision is really important, but, but, but when men began to do it by flesh, then their faith was in their circumcision and not in God's promise. So it became an act of the law. And that's where Abraham got into it with the church in Jerusalem. You know, they kept sending out uh, Jewish Christians and the, they were teaching behind Paul that every Gentile had to be circumcised. Then they could become Christians. And Paul's going, no, that's not the way it went. So um, when, when he is circumcised here, it is just a mark to remind him of a covenant that's already cut. And he did this because he's in covenant with God. God's already promised to do this, 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 and this, and God's going to do it. But now Abraham has to do his half. And his half is to do this circumcision with all the people in his tribe. But it doesn't have anything to do with causing the, 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 the covenant to happen. It's just because he's in a covenant that's already happening, he's honoring God's request. Okay. Okay. Verse 11, and you will circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between you and me. <clears throat> and he that's eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of your seed. He that is born in your house and he that is bought with your money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant will be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Should be my covenant mark will be in your flesh. <clears throat> and the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that, that soul shall be cut off from his people, and he has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, you will not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. Um, shall her name be, and I will bless her, and I will give her a son also of her. Yes, I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will be of her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. <laughs> So see, he's going, no, well, you know, that's not happening. So it's got to be, Ishmael's got to be the answer because Sarah's 90 and I'm 100, so Ishmael's got to be the answer. So he goes, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son indeed. 
and you will call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. Twelve is the number for perfect government. Mm. And I will make him a great nation. And he is. He's a nation of the Arabs. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah will bear unto you at this time in the next year. And he left off talking with him. And God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all that were born in his house and all that were bought with his money, every male um, among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the same day as God had said unto him. And Abraham was 90 years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son and all the men of his house born in the house and bought with the money of a stranger were circumcised with him. Okay. Ishmael is a covenant man and he was circumcised. However, the number 13, which is the age at which Ishmael was circumcised, literally means rebellion. That's what the number 13 is. And um, so what happens to Ishmael's people is, is they begin to worship idols. They become idol worshipers pretty early on. Once Ishmael leaves and he goes back to be with the people in Egypt and then to build his own tribes, um, they become idol worshipers pretty quickly. Um, it's interesting because the age mm -hmm. 13 is when Jewish men are Yeah, isn't that the truth when they become men? But that, that age of 13, I mean, the number 13 in itself is um, um, depravity and rebellion is, are the two words that go with it. Depravity and rebellion. So um, Entering into the teens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he was raised, his, you know, that first 14 years of his life, he was raised worshiping the God that Abraham worshipped and living under that covenant and um, still, still he walked away from it. It's just amazing, isn't it? How we're like that. Um, all right, let's just look at some scriptures here. Um, let's see, start with um, Romans 4. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting when you think about it. In the flesh, he did become the father of many nations because he was a father of Ishmael. So out of Ishmael comes the Midianites, the Turks, the Arabs. Um, and then there's Isaac, and through, through Jacob's son, Esau, you get... You get um, the Israelites, and you get um, the Edomites, and you get, um, you know, there are other tribes that come out of just the flesh. Israelites? From Esau? Well, from, no, from Isaac. I'm sorry. From Isaac come the Israelites mm -hmm. through Jacob. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, you have the Israelites, which that you expect, but then you've also got the Edomites that come from Esau. And um, so even in the flesh, on his own, he ends up being the father of many nations. But in the spirit realm, um, it encompasses all the nations of the world. You know, all the tribes of the world um, come to that end. So let's just start in Romans chapter 4, and then we'll just go from there. Um, Okay. Verse 16. Start with verse 16. This is Abraham, and and we're talking about Abraham's faith, you know, and how it worked. Um, If you look, well, I tell you, we're going to start before we get there. Go up to verse 5. Yeah, we'll just back up, and I have this split in my notes. But while we're here, let's just do the whole thing. Start with verse 5. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David, um, who also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So comes this blessedness upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So how was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or when he was in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all of them that believe. This is where we get the picture of the spirit realm, where he really does become the father of many nations. Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith after our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of no effect. Because the law works wrath. For where no law is, There's no transgression. Therefore, it's of faith that it might be by grace. And there's the hay. To the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to that which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Like him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Okay, God at that point when he said, I have made you the father of many nations, gave Abraham his grace, the hay, right? And that hay quickened his dead body, just like the hay quickened Sarah's dead body. So that when God says, I have made you the the father of many nations, he was speaking that thing that be not as though it was. Okay? And that's what faith does. You speak the thing that be not as though it was. Now, you don't say what is as though it isn't. So if you got the flu, you don't go around saying, I don't have the flu. (laughs) 
because you got the flu. But what you do say is this, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. You speak the thing that be not as though it was. And that's what he was doing there. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Okay, from there we're going to go to, going to go to Galatians. I don't want to miss anything here. Um, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I guess I better get out of Corinthians if I'm going to get the Galatians, huh? Okay, Galatians chapter 3. Now he's speaking the same issues um, to the Galatians that he was speaking to the Romans. Somebody was coming behind them and telling them, no, you need to be circumcised. And then follow the law, and then you can become a Christian. Then you believe in Jesus. And Paul's going, no, no, all the law and the circumcision and all that is gone. Now you believe in Jesus by faith. I am saved by, you know, through grace by faith. And that not of myself, but a gift of God, you know. Um, and so Paul is again having the same argument with the, um, with the Galatians. I mean, way back in chapter 2, he's talking about, uh, you know, um, for he that wrought effectually in Peter the apostleship of the circumcision, well, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So he talks about, okay, the circumcision is the Jewish people who are coming to Christ by faith, but I just go to the Gentiles, not circumcised, don't have to be coming by faith in gra through grace, right? So he's still having this same argument now with the Galatians. All right, look at verse um, 22. Yeah. And, and through all of this, and in, in all of chapter 3, he's talking about Abraham, believe God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Over and over he says that. He preached the gospel to Abraham, and in him all the nations would be blessed, okay? So, um... He's talking about faith here. Now start with verse 22. Um, but the scripture has concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. No more law. For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs According to the promise. Okay. 
if you are in Christ Jesus and he is in you, okay, Jesus was in the loins of Abraham when God spoke the covenant to Abraham 4,000 years ago. You and I then, through Jesus Christ, are in his loins, are in Abraham's loins when he preached that message. Now, outside of Jesus Christ, if he's not in us and we're not in him, then we weren't in that, that seed. But once we're in Jesus, Jesus was in his loins. Therefore, we're in his loins. Does that make sense? Is everybody getting that? It's a stretch. No. <laughs> it's a stretch. Okay. I understand it, but... Okay, it is a stretch. This is the easiest way I know how to say it. How did we not get in Abraham's seed? How do you get to be in Abraham's seed? No, how did we get not to be in Abraham's seed if, if it's Noah to if, Abraham to Jesus? Well, we're in Japheth's seed, and Japheth is not Abraham. Abraham came through um, Shem, and we came through Japheth, okay? Yeah. But if you are in Jesus, this is what happens, okay? This, there's my little drawing here. Here is Jesus' life. Can you see that? Okay. This is Jesus' life right here. Everybody got that? All right. Somewhere in his life, there's a cross. Is that a better pen? I got a better pen. I know I do. Here's a better. Oh, this I know right. Okay. Okay. Now, here we go. Jesus' Jesus's life, and somewhere in his life, there's a cross. All right, is everybody with me on that? Okay, here is you and me. We're born somewhere out here. And we live a life heading this way. And we're heading straight for hell. We're not in Jesus' family line. We're not in his seed line at all, okay? But when you run into the cross, then you have to decide, am I going to accept what Jesus did or am I not going to accept what Jesus did? If you accept what Jesus did at the cross and you receive what he did, then you get off your own timeline. You don't have a lifeline anymore. Old things have passed away. They're dead. This is gone. Now this is your new life. You are in Christ Jesus. So his lifeline is now your lifeline. So way back here where Abraham lives, way back here, Jesus was in Abraham's loins. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's a physical thing. That's right. Mm -hmm. So when you and I spiritually are in Christ Jesus and he is in us, then we are Abraham's seed. Mm -hmm. Not physically. Well, no. Spiritually. Okay. Right. Spiritually, but that's what, that. but that's what Paul's saying. He says, that's why he says, if you're in Christ Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed because Jesus is Abraham's seed. And as Paul and as John says it, as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So we are Abraham's seed in this world. That's how we get to be. That's how he gets to be the father of many nations, you know. That's exactly right. Now, that's why I said in the, in the physical realm, he does get to be the father of several nations. But in the spirit realm, he gets to be the father of all nations who are believers in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So when he's talking about this uncircumcision and the circumcision, 
um, Paul's just saying, don't get caught up in the, you know, in the much to do about that. Um, and actually, you know, in the spirit realm, we do. We get the DNA of God in us, and that's in First John. He says, you have the seed of, of God in you. Therefore, that's your DNA. And um, so our DNA also ties us back to Abraham, that seed of God that's in us. Um, so he was circumcised as a covenant stakeholder, and therefore you and I are, are circumcised in the heart. Um, go to Deuteronomy 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Deuteronomy 30. Then we're going to flip back again to this part. Deuteronomy 30. Okay, how you doing? Did you find it? Deuteronomy 30? Okay. Um, and this is repeated. You've seen it before. Romans 2.29. This is repeated, this same scripture. Um, but start with verse 5. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it, and he will do you good and multiply you above your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And in Romans 2.29, Paul talks about that. God will circumcise our hearts. That, that word heart is literally our fleshly thinking. He's going to cut away all that fleshly thinking because heart is actually the center of your understanding, cardia, which is that your understanding affects your heart. So when cardia. Circumcise yeah. means change. Yes, yeah, or just eliminate, you know, he's going to do cut like away, a knife and cut away your fleshly thinking. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, cut away all that fleshly thinking where you depend on your own flesh to make yourself good enough. Cut away all of that so that you totally depend on him. Um, okay. Now, um, so Abraham, um, did exactly as he was told. And everybody in his house was circumcised. And, um, for us, that's simply to say, um, you know, he is a type and a shadow of what was to come. And you and I are the seed of Abraham, and we need to understand that. That we are not circumcised in the flesh, we are circumcised in the heart. It's a different covenant. It's the same covenant with a new plan. And um, so we have been circumcised in our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God. And we are literally the seed of Abraham in Jesus Christ. Which is pretty cool, you know? Okay. So... God does exactly what he's told to do. Back to Genesis. Meanwhile, back on the ranch. 
gets really exciting here. Mm -hmm. This next chapter happens very shortly. Um, Jewish writers seem to think within days of what just took place from the circumcision. Within a very short amount of time, just a very, because at this point, Sarah has not conceived yet, and um, Jesus is going to confirm that she will conceive, but she hasn't yet, okay? Her body's still dead, and she's still old. <laughs> yeah, but Abraham's 99. Now, you know, we're running out of time here. You only get like 12 months to be 99, and then you're 100. So, and, and Isaac is born when he's 100. So, um, Jewish scholars seem to think it's going to be days. Christian scholars go, it could be a matter of weeks, but not very long. And um, an issue comes up before the living God. There are two issues. One, um, Jesus is coming now to confirm one more time that, um, that Sarah's going to have a child. Sarah is going to have a child. But the issue of Sodom and Gomorrah now have come up into his face. And he's really on his way to deal with that. And um, he comes to Abraham first, which is pretty interesting, you know, when you think of it. Um, they talk about, well, who is it that showed up? Because this was a man. And the word man there is ish, which literally means a physical man. And... Um, um, even the Hebrew authors agree that this is probably Messiah, the man part of God. You know, they don't understand Jesus, the lamb. They understand Messiah, the king. But they also understand that Mashiach uh, is, the, is the covenant part of God. And so Mashiach, or Jesus, shows up again as a man, um, to Abraham. And it's kind of cool to me because he sits down and he has a meal with Abraham. And I'm thinking, how cool is that? Because um, this is the first meal that's recorded where Jesus is, is still in his glorified body. And he's eating a meal with Abraham. You don't see that again until he's raised from the dead when he breaks bread with the apostles. You know, um, but here he's breaking bread, this covenant of friendship with Abraham, and um, it's important, the meal's important, because in the Middle East, um, the practice of sitting down to have a meal um, is, and the breaking of bread together around a table forms a covenant of friendship, and that's not a breakable covenant. Um, that's why, you know, there are a lot of these families in the Middle East who, um, you know, they may have a son or whatever that's gone radical. or and, and even in this country, they may have a son that's gone radical or whatever. But if the families have broken bread together, they are in a friendship covenant. You don't betray friends. And so they are sealed in these covenants that we don't understand because there's a curse on the covenants. You know, if you break these covenants, there's a curse on them. And um, so people are bound up in all of this covenant practice that also keeps them from being able to turn somebody in, you know, <clears throat> which we don't think about very often. You know, we don't, we don't have that understanding. 
But if these families have broken bread together at, you know, at their temples or wherever they go or, you know, in their neighborhoods or what have you, they're, they're under covenant. There's an allegiance in that friendship covenant. And um, so, yeah, that's one of the reasons that they have a hard time telling on each other, even if they know stuff. They can't, they don't betray each other because of those covenants, which um, we have a hard time cutting through because we don't understand that. Okay. So let's just read a little bit. He prepares the very finest meal that he has, and he sits down and he fellowships with the Lord. He recognizes the Lord. Evidently, the Lord had just been there, you know. Especially since his glorified body. There you go. And he had just been there a few weeks earlier, a few days earlier. Um, he recognizes him and addresses him as the Lord. But um, the other two with him, the other two angels who look like ish men, um, he feeds them as well and entertains them as well. So here we go, verse 1 and 18. Oh, where are we? Oh, we're back. Chapter 18 in Genesis. Okay. Back, back to the ranch. Okay. There you go. And the Lord appeared to him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men, and that word is ish, literally material men, stood by him. Um, you know, I, I used to get that picture of him walking in the distance and he was running out to meet him, but they just seemed to like pop up, up here, there. Right. Yeah. As angels will do. Yes. And he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if I now have found favor in your sight, pass not away, I pray you, from your servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll fetch a morsel of bread and comfort your hearts after you shall pass on. For therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal and knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran to the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man and haste to dress it. And he took butter and milk. I'm thinking, you know, I just cooked supper the other night. And I, I just went to the grocery store and got that old ground meat and, you know, put the meal together. Here, you gotta go kill yeah, you have to take the whole day. You can't just, like, drop in for a surprise dinner. If they got to kill the calf and dress it and cook it, you go, oh, my gosh. That'd be a long, you'd have to have a lot of snacks to entertain them long enough to get the the goat cook. Well, Ooh. they do this every day for their own meals. You just wonder, don't they have you anything do. on You do. I know. Don't you just, like, I know there's no freezer, but my goodness, there's got to be a way. There's a woman in the house. Whoa. I mean, I look at this stuff, and I just have to laugh. I think, holy cow. Salt. Yeah, salt. salt. Lots of salt. Right. Right. Yes, that's exactly it. There's got to be a way. So, Oh, there's somebody at the door. Who do you think that is? Intruder. Look who's come for 30 minutes. I'm so glad you came. Get in here. Five o'clock. Did you not get my text? No. Oh, Jerry, come right in That's here. That's okay, Jerry. We, we still got a half hour. We're just going. Hello, Jerry. We it two weeks ago. Jerry Coral, I'm so glad you're here. I don't know what to do. We go at five. We used to go at 6.30, but... Uh, when there was this great plan of having a church service, yes. <laughs> they moved us to five. We're in Genesis 18. We just started Genesis 18. Good place to start. 
we're, we're fixing supper. Yeah, we've been discussing it. <laughs> Killing the fatted calf. Oh my gosh. We're just saying it would take a lot of snacks to entertain company long enough to kill the calf, you know? Whoa. Okay, we're on verse 7. We had Sarah in there baking bread. Yes, yeah, Sarah's <laughs> baking the bread. Somebody's killing the cow. Oh, my gosh. And Abraham ran to the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man and hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had dressed, and set it before them. Then you go, Not hope he cooked it, yeah. <laughs> and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, well, I'll certainly return to you according to the time of life. Okay, here we go again with this phrase, return. It's the very same word, halak, when he says, I will confirm my covenant with you or I will make my covenant with you. The covenant's already made. A long time ago, he promised that Abraham was going to have a son. So that word return literally means Okay, now, if Sarah's around, I'm telling you right now, I'm about to bring that covenant to pass. I'm about to, you know, send that grace on to Sarah so that the covenant is going to come to pass right now. So when it says, I will return the covenant to you, it doesn't mean he took it away. It means that I am giving Sarah back life in her body. And, and lo, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were old and well-stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, he's not asking that as if he's mad at Sarah. I mean, he understands more than anybody. If you're 90 years old, you're going to laugh. I mean, what else could you do? You know? You're going, Oh my God, are you kidding me? No. Yeah. So he's not saying it to her, why did you laugh? Like, you're not supposed to laugh. This is serious. But he's going, why did you laugh, Sarah? Don't you know? Because Sarah now is hiding behind the tent door. He can't see her. And he says, don't you know that there is nothing that's too hard for God? And what he's trying to do is encourage her at that point, you know? Believe for the impossible. That's what he's doing here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return to you. In other words, I will give your life back to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, no, you did laugh. Of course, Isaac's name means laughter. But but um, back, she laughed to herself as mm -hmm. she thought. So yeah. he knew he was just reading her mind. That's exactly That's right. That's he fair. knew it. She's going, no, no, I didn't laugh. Well, two things there. One is to, to be in the middle of her husband's conversation was a dishonor to her husband. Mm. That's the first thing. And the second part of that was to say, 
um, I'm dishonoring what you said. And neither of those was true for her. She wasn't offending. She was musing, if you will, in herself. So while it, it, it was a lie, she denied it in the sense, but she was not laughing at him or at the idea. Okay. It was just a muse. Okay. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, this, this picture is painted two ways when you read it in Scripture. Um, one is that the Lord is talking with the angels. You know, do we do this thing and not tell Abraham? Or do I tell Abraham what's about to happen here? That's the muse. That's the thought. And... Um, the Christian scholars say, you know, the Lord was just debating whether or not he should tell Abraham what's going on, mainly because Lot lived in Sodom and all that. But the Hebrew people have such an interesting bent on this. In the Targum, the Targum writers, um, they say that God, the Lord was saying, there's no way that I can do this without telling Abraham because... I have given Abraham the land. All the land from the Euphrates River to the Nile River is the promised land. How can I go into Sodom and Gomorrah and do anything on land that I have given to Abraham and his descendants? And I think that sounds reasonable. Yes, that God would come by and tell Abraham that because Abraham is in covenant with God and the land that is a part of that covenant is fixing to be changed a little bit here. Yeah, just a tad. Um, so um, I like what they said. These cities uh, were given in the grant of the whole land to Abraham. And therefore, it was right and it was um, required of him to be respectful to Abraham and tell him. Abraham was his friend and doing what was right before God and raising his children to do the same. And therefore, the Lord, in response to covenant, had, uh, had a responsibility to tell Abraham. And I think, right on, that makes perfect sense to me. It's not like whether God's going to tell him or not tell him, which is kind of the feeling that you get, and Christian authors say he was vacillating, but I don't think he was vacillating. I mean, God doesn't vacillate. I was going to just say that. You know? No, he doesn't vacillate. And um, I think he was just saying, isn't this the right thing to do? So let's pick up and read there for a minute. Um, <clears throat> verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, <clears throat> and all the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, <clears throat> that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So to me, that says God is saying, he is a man that lives by this covenant, therefore I'm going to honor this covenant with him. And because I've given this land to him and his seed, I'm going to tell him what's about to happen. And so then he begins to tell them um, about Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's not only Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, there are about a dozen little towns. You know, if you think about the map of the Dead Sea, 
there's a like a bottom lobe. Let me see if I can find the map. I'll pass it around here real quick. There's a bottom lobe on the Dead Sea that, um, you know, it's not just a straight loop down. Where are all my maps? How do I do that? Let's see. Here's one. Yeah. Okay. If you look, I'll pass this around. There, it looks like an extra lobe on the bottom of the Dead Sea. Okay. Even geologists and archaeologists say that that lobe was not there um, really? in Abraham's day. That that was a plain um, south of the Dead Sea, and that was where like Zeboam and Zoar and Sodom and Gomorrah and all those little towns were located right there at the south end of the Dead Sea. And when God blew up Sodom and Gomorrah, there were several other towns that were blown up with Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was a bunch of them. And um, that uh, um, another whole lobe of the Dead Sea was formed that there are tar pits and slime pits in that area and um, a very heavy mineral concentration. So when the water just flushed down there, it just became Dead Sea too. Um, that, that bottom lobe just became a part of the Dead Sea. So at this point, that lobe did not exist, but that's where Sodom and Gomorrah and Zoar and Zeboam and... Well, in, under where that pit is. Yes. Mm -hmm. right, in that, right where that lobe is, that was a valley at one time. Okay, and uh, when and when God blew up Sodom and Gomorrah and all those towns down there, it just made a pit and the Dead Sea just filled it up. Is it full of fire? Is it full of brimstone and it, sulfur? You know, probably is full of sulfur is and that, everything else. The Dead Sea is just full of all those minerals um, that are there. There so are a lot of slime. to be dead? Uh, yeah, there's no exit for anything, for one thing. And then all those deposits that have flowed down in there just back up. And uh, it literally is just salt. It's just thick with all kinds of minerals and things. It's more like syrup. Um, I, when I was a little girl, um, went out west and um, actually got to swim in the Salt Lake mm -hmm. You know, and, and it is. It's just like swimming in jello. It's just slime. You can't sink. There's no way you can sink. You know, your body mass doesn't have enough weight to, you know, to, to do that. And that's the same thing. It's just, you know, all that, uh, all those minerals that are there. Um, eventually, one day, Israel's going to figure out how to use those minerals, and it's going to make them very wealthy, um, at least according to Scripture it says that. They're already putting them in Mm -hmm. Creams and makeups and things. Yeah, so, they right? are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, dead. the dead sea. Yeah. So anyway, and they do believe that if you, you know, if they could excavate, that they would find the the Sodom and Gomorrah in those towns. Mm -hmm. That whole bunch of towns would be at the bottom of the Dead Sea in that southeastern and that southern part. Mm -hmm. um, that's what archaeologists, Christian archaeologists, will tell you that. Um, if you read the Bible is history. If you've any of you've ever read that book, it's you know, they talk about it. It's pretty interesting, actually. But um, anyway, so, so God just tells him right up front, you know, look at verse 20. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, 
I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. Um, and the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So the Lord stayed behind and sent the two angels on their way to do what they had to do. Um, historically speaking, um, the whole area, not, not just Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm just talking about the whole area, all those cities were completely depraved. They were um, idol worshipers. They were um, the worst of people that you could imagine. Um, and as, just go to Ezekiel 16 real quick. Just a couple of verses there. Oh, yeah, I know. Ezekiel's one of those little books in there. Oh, it's not little. <laughs> well, no, it isn't, but it's just in that whole conglomeration. You just have to thumb through. You're right. Yeah. There you I go. I got my fingers marking other places, and I'm getting... Ezekiel. I don't know what to let go of. Did you say Ezekiel? Ezekiel, uh, yeah, chapter 16. Oh, 16. Mm-hmm. Um, verse 49 and 50, just two verses here. Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Okay. That was a pretty good description of, you know, what historians say about them. Um, of, of course, the three cornerstones of all sin, pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And they were right with it. They were right with it. They were proud and haughty. They were idolaters. And not only did they worship other idols, but they worshiped themselves. They had put themselves on the altar. They determined right and wrong. They determined good and evil. They were very self-absorbed. Whatever pleased them, that's what they did. Um, in a lot of ways, there were similarities to what was going on in the days of Noah. When every imagination was continually evil, every thought was continually evil. They were glutton, full of bread and abundance. And they were so full of glutton and abundance to the point that there wasn't any industry. There was no work. They were idle people, and you know what? Idleness is the devil's workshop. You know, it just is. They were self-absorbed, and so it caused them to turn a blind eye to the poor and the needy. Um, when you read a lot about the customs of that time and that era, it was said that um, they actually uh, would close their city gates right away in the evening. Anybody that was left inside, a traveler, was uh, abused severely, you know, if not killed. Um, anyone in the city who would help a traveler or help a, a poor or a needy person was persecuted and killed. Mm. They lost their lives for doing that. For being kind. For being kind to the poor and the needy 
or a traveler. If you would dare to harbor a traveler um, or try to offer food or anything, you would be killed. And um, they, they would um, hack them to pieces. They would throw them off of buildings. They would nail them to the side of the city walls. They would do, I mean, terrible things to people who just wanted to help another person. So for Lot, even to offer refuge for these travelers was to risk his own life. Um, um, and because of their idleness, because of their indulgences, and because of their debauchery, every kind of immorality went on there. Every kind of immorality. Um, the word there is abomination, and um, it means an abhorrent and an immoral act. In Leviticus, it talks about, um, you know, men laying with men, women laying with women, and then God defines it exactly as that. Um, tebah, which is an abomination. And... Um, so um, when you see any that phrase committed abominations, then you go back to Leviticus and the law, and it will define what that is. But it's anything that is counter to um, uh, what is normal. Go to Jude. Jude. There's only one Jude. Just Jude. Right. The page in front of Revelations. Jude, yeah. <laughs> Wherever that is. Two verses here, seven and eight. Um, yeah. So even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, that's what I want you to see. It wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah. But it was all those little uh, communities around Sodom and Gomorrah too. Zoar, Zoabim, and um, all those other little towns in that area. Gabar um, were a part of this. And they all went down together. It wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, all these dreamers, these filthy dreamers, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Okay. Um, strange flesh. It is any flesh outside of the natural course. Anything that is different or altered from God's patterns. Okay, that's what it means by strange flesh. Um, so, so there was every kind of possible ugly sin. Murder and um, every kind of defiling fornication. Everything was going on there. There was nothing that wasn't happening there that was just pure, raw evil. I don't know wealth. how they get that far. Uh, where did they get their wealth that they were well, on? They, they were on a trade route. Uh, and I guess they would just, you know, buy and sell and whatever they did. But it wasn't... Um, producing anything. Yeah, it wasn't producing anything. They made nothing. There was no, mm -mm, no production at all. And um, so... And, and even the historians will tell you that. It was completely idle people. You know, nothing to do, nothing going on, nothing, 
uh, productive about them. And um, so the fierceness of it had gotten so bad that um, it had come up to God's attention, just like the days of Noah, when it got God's attention. The evil was so bad on the earth that he came down to see what was going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, partially because um, Lot's family lived in Sodom. But you know, Lot, from the very beginning, he chose where he wanted to live. He didn't let Abraham pick for him. He chose. And what did he choose? He chose that valley down near Sodom and Gomorrah. But he didn't stay in the valley. He moved all the way into the town. And as nasty and as abhorrent as that place was, he lived in that town, knowing how bad it was. Yeah. So where Abraham allowed God to to pick his place to live, um, Lot chose his own. Abraham ends up blessed. Lot ends up living in a cave. He just barely gets away with two daughters, and that's it, and the clothes on his back. He loses everything, you know. But he gets his life, and that's thanks to uh, Abraham interceding for him. And that's the only reason. So, um, all right, back to Genesis. We're about to quit here. We're just going to go through the deal-making because it is what it is, okay? Um, And the Lord said, because the cry said, this is verse 20, of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is grievous, I'm going to go down and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. If not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Would you destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? that be far from you to do um, after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from you, shall not the judge of all earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon you to speak to the Lord, which am but dust and ashes, but peradventure there shall lack five and fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him again and said, Peradventure there would be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said to him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. <laughs> peradventure there shall be thirty found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty. And he said, Behold, now I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there should be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. I'm so glad God's patient. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I will speak yet but, but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Okay. Abraham was in the high country. To the east of where this valley was. 
I mean, to, to the west of where this valley was, sorry. He was to the west of where this valley was. So he was going to be able to see the show. He was going to see the fireworks. So he sat down. I, I can't even imagine what he must be thinking. But when he got to 10, he stopped. And um, my question then was, why stop at 10? The Targum writers have a good answer. Yeah, they say that Lot had four daughters, two married and two still living at home. And um, the two that were living at home were betrothed. So he had four daughters, two legal son-in-laws and two on the way, and he and his wife, and that would have been 10. And that Abraham stopped at 10 um, in order to save Lot's life. Um, I, I, you know, you read scripture and you go, four daughters, there's a place where it says he went to see two daughters and their husbands, um, but it doesn't exactly reference whether or not the two husbands that he went to see were living with two daughters or if it was the daughters betrothed to these two men. You don't really know for sure. But Jewish tradition says that he had four daughters. Mm. And um, that's why Abraham stopped at 10. Because he had four daughters, two son-in-laws, two prospective son-in-laws, and then he and his wife. Once you're betrothed in that society, it's the same as being married. Mm-hmm. It is, whether you're living with them or not. Right. And so um, at that point, you know, Abraham couldn't go any further. There was nothing else that he could say, so he ended his pleading, you know, right there. And... Um, so look at, uh, go to Second Peter. And I have a big question about this. Mm, um, we're going to go to Second Peter chapter 2. And then we're going to quit here at 6.30. All right, start with verse 4. And he's talking here about the, start to talk about the angels in Noah. That's why I say the evil was like in the days of Noah. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into change of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, and condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample to those that afterwards should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Okay, here we are with just Lot, whose soul was vexed every day with the evil going on in Sodom. And yet yet he's there. (laughs) He's still living there. Why would you live there when you could get out and live in the plains, you know, on the west side of the Jordan, just get out of Sodom? 
I, I, I don't get it. You know, I have a lot of questions I want to ask about that. <laughs> Just Lot, who is vexed every day with the filthy life of these wicked people, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing it, and vexed his righteous soul every day. I'm going, why didn't you get the heck out of Dodge? If, if you were that miserable, why didn't yeah. you leave? Yeah, but the thing is, is that you know? when the angel, when they were trying to get him out, the daughters who were married didn't want to, he didn't want to leave his family behind. Maybe. I don't think they were so great. I don't know. I think they became pretty much part of the town. Well, yeah, they did. They all they wanted did. to stay. They yeah. didn't want to go. But, um, well, and really, Lot didn't want to go because the angel had to literally grab him by the arm and drag him out of town. Because he didn't you know? want to leave his family, maybe. I have Trust no idea. But that's, you know, that's one of the assertions okay. mm -hmm. that that's exactly what happened. We'll read about that next week. But um, the, the point is this, and this is the part that bugs me about Lot. He made choices to flirt with evil instead of living to honor God. And as a result... He suffered great loss with his wife and his daughters by associating himself with a, a nation um, that was far from God. And he knew better because he grew up, he grew up with Abraham as his surrogate father. He knew better. But he made that conscious choice to flirt with evil. And it's not like he didn't have resources to live wherever he wanted right. to. Right. Exactly right. And as long as Lot was with Abraham, he was blessed with tremendous abundance. Mm -hmm. And when everything is said and done, he has nothing but the clothes on his back and two daughters. Um, um, it's a sad story to me. You know, the whole thing is just a sad story. But, um... Yeah, that crazy lot, I got a few things I'm going to talk to him about, too. I can't even think of why he did that. You know, it just makes absolutely no sense at all. Well, nothing in his life ever indicated that he earned anything. Well, when he was with Abraham, I guess they all shepherded. You know, they all raised sheep and cattle, and he yeah. ran his own family business, and he had a lot of it. But he got that by being a family man. Part of mm -hmm. the family. Part of the family, exactly right. But I'm sure he worked to take care of him and to take care of his family there. But um, man, when he, when his flocks got so big that he couldn't stay with Abraham, he just he did it the wrong his, way. His all, his wealth was livestock. What was he doing? Who's taking care of his wealth? Exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking, what happened to all of that? You know, did he just let it go? Did he become idle like everybody in, you know, in um, Sodom and Gomorrah, I, I have no earthly idea. But when I read that in Peter about his little poor soul was vexed every day by what was going on, I'm going, oh, come on. Give me a break. Vexed, like really? Some people like to live like that, though. That's just, <laughs> well, but he's saying that Lot didn't. Yeah. He was vexed. Yeah, if you're vexed, you just get out of town. Well, but can't we all get by things that we, we want to hold on to and mm -hmm. we just let go. We, we have a hard time letting go. And so we live with the situation rather than change. Rather than change, you just stay vexed. It is. It is hard. You're right, Jordan. You are absolutely right. Well, it definitely shows that the days we're living in now is exactly oh. 
Yep. What it says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when, when our president was speaking of what the Lord sort of shows me, that His grace and His mercy at these last days, He's trying to make an attempt to get out if there be ten righteous. Right. I think we are too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think we are too. I think we're there. I think we are. Now it's just the long suffering hand of God that's, you know, keeping us going. But oh, praise God for it. Um, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.